I just got back today. I was blown to Chicago yesterday with all that wind. <laughs> right? It was crazy. It was, it was just nuts. Hey, we are finishing a series, as, as Mark said. Um, we've been talking about real mature, and the idea is, what is a mature Christian? Because some people think, well, a mature Christian is somebody who's been a Christian for a long time. If I've been a Christian for 10, 15, 20 years, I'm growing in my maturity. And that Maybe so. Or somebody says, no, a mature Christian is somebody who kind of knows the Bible and they kind of know chapter and verse and they can quote scripture and they study it and they're in Bible studies and they've been in Bible studies for years and certainly that could be a sign of maturity. But when you think about it, the most spiritually knowledgeable people in Jesus' day were the scribes and the Pharisees and they had the Messiah standing right before them and they missed him. So, that's a little bit of a problem and a little disconcerting, right? And so it can't necessarily be those things. It may, those two things may be part of it, but they can't be it, right? But that's kind of how we measure maturity. So what we're doing in the series is we're laying down, we're talking about what are the, what are the, 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 the measurements? What's the grid that you would really, that the Bible says this is what mature Christians do. This is what they, this is how they behave. And, and when you, when you come down to it, there's just a few things that really mature Christians do. And they're summarized in scripture. And then the rest of scripture kind of gives legs to it or puts the rubber where the road is, which we're going to do a little bit today. But I want to begin by saying this, the primary thing, the primary thing that a mature Christian does and a church does is they worship God. They worship God. We worship through singing. We worship through the word. We worship through giving. We worship through serving. Uh, we worship in this time, in this place, whether we're online or and we're live or after the fact, you know, a couple of days or at night, we're watching and we're worshiping, you know, through the music, through the message, through those different things. We Worship isn't something that we do at a certain time in a certain place. Worship is something we do all the time, at our workplace, at school, at home, in our neighborhood. Um, when we drive, <laughs> sometimes not so much. <laughs> we may be, you know, you know what the total contradiction of worship is when you're driving? When you put, you have Christian music on and you're cursing the people driving around you. Okay, that may be, at that point you may go, okay, this is a little bit of a discon, there's something wrong here. You get my, what I mean here. So that's primary, that we're here to worship God. That's our primary thing. But the grid that we've been working on is this. A couple, like three weeks ago, we said, the primary thing is to love God and love others. Right? Love God and love others. Jesus, all the law and the prophets, can, and all the laws can be boiled down to these two things, love God and love others. But that's pretty, it's pretty generic, you know? It's kind of like, okay, so who is my neighbor? We get into the New Testament. Who is my neighbor? The questions and that. So then we talked two weeks ago. We said, we said, well, one of the things that a mature Christian does is they help people take one step closer to Jesus. And that means that sometimes they're, they're just the, the first real Christian they met that is, has integrity, that uh, doesn't, isn't super judgmental, but is, you know, has some certain beliefs. Uh, has a hope that goes beyond the grave, and just different things. They, in other words, they're credible. They're credible. And sometimes uh, our role is just to help people take that next step, whatever it is. Sometimes to lead them across that line of salvation. We're not born Christians, but Jesus says you can be born again, right? 
So, so we help people take one step closer. So we love God, love others. We help people take one step closer to Jesus. And number three, we talked about this last weekend. We said one of the roles of a Christian is that we, we um, leverage our resources, our time, our talent, and our money, our treasure, for the kingdom of God. That we realize that we're not, we don't own anything, that God owns everything, that we're just merely his stewards, right? And one day we're going to be called to give an account. So this is the last week. And so what's the fourth one? The fourth one is that when you are a mature Christian, you're connected to his community, his new community. You're part of his new community. Now, that's got to be more than just showing up on the weekends or watching messages or worshiping online. There's got to be more to it than that. And so that's kind of where we want to go this week. And we want to talk about what are the implications of being connected to his community. Even in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible is Genesis. And in, in the early chapters, it says over and over, and God, God saw all that he did, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then it comes to, a, it comes to this verse. Notice, let me read it to you. This is from Genesis. It says, it is not good. So it is good, it is good, it is good. It is not good for man to be alone. Now, what we mean, what we understand by that is that God never created us for aloneness. He created us for community. And that's not just in a marriage relationship, that's in friendships, that's in family. That's... So God created us not to be alone, but to be with others, to do life together, right? And so this is, and he says, as we watch the develop through the Old Testament and then in the new book of the Acts and in the New Testament, we see this new community developing with Jews and Gentiles, and, and they're doing life together. And we have all these one another statements in Scripture. And, and essentially, God wants us to live together. When Jesus saves us from our sins, he puts us into his new community. We are not just connected to Christ, we're connected to his church. Now, this goes against the current of our American culture. American culture is very individualistic. I can do it. I don't need help. But the church says, humble yourself. The church says, you need others. You need community. And, and so that's kind of what we're talking about. The early church never held this view that we hold so strongly in our community, uh, in our culture, that says that I'm an individual. It's me and Jesus. Look at Acts 2. For, let me read it to you. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves, speaking of the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, that's koinonia, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. So koinonia is simply just means this. They got together. They did their life together. They shared their resources. They, and as you read the book of Acts, it's very clear that they were selling and they were giving to the, those who had, they were praying for each other. They were helping each other. They were just watching out for each other. The point is this. Mature Christians connect with his new community. That's what they do. That's what they do. So, let me, let me demonstrate what his new community is. So, in the New Testament, you have 25 to 30, and it's debated, what we call one another states, like love one another, bear one another's burdens, pray for one another, forgive one another. So, we have all these one another states, and I kind of put them, categorized them into four different categories because this is where the rubber meets the road. We can say all day that we love God and we love others, but then we put disclaimers on it. You know, it's like the guy that comes to Jesus and says, well, 
I know I'm supposed to love them, but who is my neighbor? I mean, can I define my neighbor down to people I just like and they like me and it's pretty cool and we don't have conflict? Can I do that? She says, no, you really can't do that. It's a guy beating up on the side of the road. So here's the four categories. Here's the first one, that we love one another. Look at uh, John chapter 13 says this, verse 34. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the, the standard is that we're to love as we are loved by him. And what we tend to do is we tend to love based upon how they love us. Or they do, do they deserve it? Do I like them? Are they nice? Are, you know, are they easy to love? And Jesus says, no, no, you love as you are loved by me. That's the standard. And then the interesting thing is, Jesus says, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples. What he's saying here is very striking. He's saying that one of the things, one of the taglines that the world should have about the church is, you know, that, that church, they just love each other. It's the first thing they say. You know, all, I, you know whatever you want to say about that church, they love each other. They just kind of love each other. They care for each other. Is that what most churches have thought of? today in our world? Oh, that's a group of people that love each other. No, it's they're hypocrites. They hate each other. There's, you know, there's conflict. There's all this stuff. So Jesus is saying, if you want to have a powerful witness to the world, it's going to start as we love one another. Romans 12, 10 says this, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. But that word, be devoted to one another, what does it mean to be devoted? Think about maybe on, a, on your hand, your five fingers, Five people in your life that you would say, I'm devoted to them. Five people. Now, if you're married, hopefully it's your spouse. If you have kids, hopefully it's them. If you have grandkids, you may say, yeah, that's, that's, so you, I'm, I'm on my second hand. Good for you. Good for you. But think about what devotion means. Devotion requires commitment. It requires consistency. It requires allegiance. Being devoted means that when I look in my corner, uh, I realize there, there's people in my corner that have my back. People who love me. People who are always going to be there no matter what. Now, do you have people in your life who are devoted to you? And more importantly, it's not more importantly, but it's the other side of the coin. Are you that person for someone else? Who's, who's, who in, do you know that if they were in a tough situation, they would look in the corner and they would see you there? That's what it means to be devoted to one another. Uh, here's another one in this category. Uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. Did you all do that this morning? <laughs> kind of, well, it's not quite kosher to do that right now. This is not a good time. Though with a mask, it could be a little bit more sanitary, right? Uh, but here's the thing. You know, this, is, this was obviously a cultural greeting. We do this. We do fish pumps. We do handshakes. We do hugs. We do elbows. You know, we do that stuff. That's the point. That's the point. So that's the, the, the first one. And it can be pretty general, but you could see that we're drooling down a little bit and get a little bit more specific. Uh, here's the second area. We strive to maintain the unity of the church. Being part of community means that you preserve the, com you, you preserve the unity. Look at what it says, 12, 16 of Romans. 
Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, be will, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. You know, maintaining the unity of the church is something that we should all strive for, that we strive for truth over gossip, that we give the best case rather than the worst case scenario. And yet, in the last year, in the last 16 months, probably I've seen more and more on Facebook and other platforms where people just assume the worst of others. They condemn without knowing. They write things that I go, man, do they realize, do they read what they're actually writing to this person about and how hurtful and harmful those words are? Um, Romans 14, 13 says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. You know, many people think the church um, conflict or when churches split or people leave a church, it's because there's there's doctrinal issues, and sometimes there is. Not too often, though. Most of the time, it's personal conflict. It's because people are being not brothers to one another or sisters to one another. They're being jerks to one another. They're being proud and arrogant. It's not over doctrine most of the time. Sometimes it is. And, and it's certainly, he's not, you know, the, the Scripture's not saying, oh, yeah, forget about doctrine. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, don't divide over dumb things. Don't. Romans 15, 7, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring, bring praise to God. You know, too often what we're doing is we're piling on, we're getting, we're saying things, we're doing things to other people that are hurtful and harmful. It's, frankly, I, I'm, I'm kind of ashamed of the Christian church and the way that we've, we've behaved in the last 16 months. Some of the things that I've read and heard, I, I'm going, what? I understand it's hard. I understand there's been a lot of pressure and life hasn't gone well for many, many people this last 16 months. But that being said, this should be the time where we show what true Christians do under pressure. That we show compassion and we're kind. That's Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. See, we want to forgive when they're groveling, when they take ownership, when they, when they say, oh, I can't believe I said that. You're such a great person. I can't even imagine that I even came to a place where I could have said such a horrible thing to you. How will you ever live? We want that from them. And you know what? I've never had anybody do that. <laughs> it says, forgive as Christ forgave you. Not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, not because you've even asked for it. So uh, I want to read you a verse. This is, <laughs> this is where I think we really fall down. Again, we're drilling a little deeper. We're saying, okay, so what does it mean to love one another? Uh, James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We love that last part. The prayer of a, of a righteous person is effective and powerful. Love that verse. But let's bump it back just a little bit. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, when I was a young Christian and I started re you know, reading, I was reading that verse, confess your sins to one another, I go, what does that mean? 
Does that mean I walk up to a complete stranger and go, hey, you know, I just need to tell you, I want to confess my sins to you and tell you all the bad things I've done. Now, I was raised in a tradition where you went to a certain place at a certain time to a certain person and you confessed your sins and then you were told, go do this and you'll be forgiven. Now, what I've learned since then is 1 John says, if we deny that we have sinned, we make God out to be a liar. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I learned that I can go directly to God. I, don't, I can cut out the middleman, and I can go directly to God. So what in the world does this verse mean then? If I can ask for forgiveness and I can go directly to God, why do I need to confess my sins to others? So I never really understood that verse, but I, I understand it now. In other words, what does it mean to confess your sins to one another? I think it's, it's rather simple. I think it means that when you say or do something or you post something on Facebook, it's hurtful or harmful. You take ownership for that. You acknowledge, When the Spirit of God convicts you, and hopefully the Spirit of God will convict you, you take ownership and you go to that person. By the way, it doesn't have to be a Christian, another Christian. Uh, if you've offended another Christian, yes, go to another Christian. But if you offended somebody who's outside the church and outside of faith in, in Christ, and you've offended them, you need to go to them. And you need to say, I said this, I did this, I was absolutely wrong. I am taking ownership for this. This is my thing. I'm owning it. I'm taking responsibility. I never want to do that again. And I can't imagine how I harmed you or hurt you, but I just want to tell you that I am so sorry, and I don't want to, I, I want to be right with you, and I want, to take, I want to take this, and I'm going to ask you to forgive me for this. And I'm going to do my very best never to ever do something like this, hurtful or harmful to you again. Think about that. Jesus told a, a story one time. He says, if you bring an offering and then you remember you have something against your brother, something, you've got problems there, don't stop with the offering and come and make things right. I think this is what he's talking about. Confess your sin to one another. You don't walk up to a complete stranger. You walk up to the person you offended, the piece of person you hurt, and you say, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you did that? The Spirit of God, you knew you were wrong. You never went and you never acknowledged it. And why didn't you do it? Because you're too proud. Too arrogant. You don't want to take ownership for it. You just... What would happen... What would happen if the church began to confess their sins to the people that they've offended? I think the world would stop and go, what is that? It's called humility. It's called repentance. It's called confession. Something that we say we believe in. Something that we say we do. Remember I said love one another? This is loving one another. This is, what relation, this is what happens in relationship. We don't say, well, I'm going to wait. When they, when they finally come to me and, you know, and acknowledge their part. No, no, that's not what it says. You take ownership for your sin and you deal with it. I think it would be a radical change in our world. 
Here's the third category. Uh, we find ways to serve one another. Galatians 6.2 says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. First um, Peter says this, this is 1 Peter 5, uh, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, uh, that he may lift you up in due time. This is interesting because it was written by Peter. Remember Peter? Peter was the one when Jesus went to, in John 13, he goes to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter says, you're not washing my feet. And Peter, Jesus, uh, Jesus says, Peter, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no place in my kingdom. And what was he saying? I don't allow dirty feet in my kingdom? No. What he was saying was, if you're not willing to humble yourself, you have no idea what my kingdom's all about. For crying out loud, I'm the God of the universe, and I've come, I've humbled myself to wash your feet, and I'm going to climb up on a cross. For crying out loud, if you can't humble yourself, you don't understand the first thing about my kingdom. Peter had a look down on Jesus. You know, men have a hard time humbling themselves. They don't want to be seen as weak. They don't want to be seen as, I can't handle this. I need help. They, will. they don't want to do that. And they think it's just, from our culture, that's a sign. It's John Wayne. It's, I don't need any help. It's me and against the world. And it is. But that's not his church. His church says that when you humble yourself, Sometimes you humble yourself to get help. Sometimes you humble yourself to help. Ephesians says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5.21. You have to understand that when you humble yourself before someone else, you're humbling yourself before God. Understand that. Because sometimes we, we, we think, well, I have to, it has to be somebody that's worthy of me. Oh, you are never worthy of Jesus humbling himself for you. You humble yourself before others out of reverence for Christ. Honor one another above yourselves. Unless you're willing to put the needs of others above yourself, you'll never understand the maturity of true fellowship. Uh, have you ever had this happen? Well, let me, let me move on. Uh, fourth category, and I'll jump into that, what I was going to say. Because sometimes you say, well, what were you going to say? It might have been interesting, because the rest hasn't been too interesting up to this point. All right. Okay, <laughs> bear with me. I'm going to get to it, and then you'll say, well, that wasn't so much. Okay, yeah, all right. It wasn't, probably. All right, so the fourth category, we join in helping each other grow. We join in helping each other grow. That's what the one other statements are. So Romans uh, 15, 14 says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. So we need to instruct one another. Now, one of the things that I've been in these conversations before, and it's very humbling to me, and I have found some people who are very arrogant. 
they're very knowledgeable, but they're very arrogant. They, I mean, it's like they're Mr. Smarty or Mrs. Smarty Pants, and they want everybody to know how smart they are. They look at me. I'm smart. I'm intelligent. I know stuff more than you do. <laughs> That's kind of what they're... I've had a couple conversations over the years with people, and I've started talking in an area that I'm kind of comfortable with, and the person I'm talking with will, you know, and I, I don't know what their competency in this area is, but then they start asking questions and they start talking and I realize, oh boy, this is a very smart person in this area and I don't know if I really know what I'm talking about compared to them. You know the statement, they've forgotten more than you'll ever know. It's one of those moments. I've had those moments, but the thing about it is the person is so humble about it that you don't even know. I've watched people make fools of themselves, talk to people who are much more knowledgeable about and competent in a, in a subject, and, and, and I'm going, oh, boy. But the person is just being very humble about it and not blowing their own horn. But here's what I want you to see. What happens within the body of Christ, what happens within the new communities, we help each other grow. It's, it's iron sharpens iron. Um, so I've used this illustration. This isn't, this isn't new to me. I mean, it, I didn't come up with it, but it was really helpful. And there's different ways that it's been bantered around. Like, like the one I like is uh, we all need a coach. We all need teammates. And we all need rookies. Or another way to put it, we all need a Yoda. Some, some of you don't know Star Wars. Is it Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I, no, I just did that for you guys. How dare you <laughs> not know the difference? We all need a Yoda. We all need, you know, um, yeah, who do we need? Spock, right? <laughs> <laughs> We all need a Yoda, we all need a co we all need colleagues, and we all need protégés, okay? I like the teammate one, though. Coach, teammate, rookie, all right? So here's the idea. The idea is that you have somebody who is further down the line, and that's the verse where the, the older and the younger, that, that verse that we read, that's kind of what it's talking about. And, it, and it's, boy, we're missing that in our culture today, aren't we? We just have uh, younger people that just, and again, I'm not trying to be mean or anything like that because I was that way too. I know everything. What do they, what do they know? And I, I you know, I, there are times where when I was raising my kids, my, I have five boys, they're all grown up now, and praise God. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I remember there were times where I said things to them, and I said, that's Joan Collins talking there. That's my mom, Joan Collins. That's Joan Collins talking there. I swore I would never be say those things that my mom said. What I realized was my mom was much wiser and smarter than I was. And when I was younger, I thought, I know so much more than you. And then I got to be her age, and I didn't know so much. We need somebody who's further down the line, a coach, Somebody that can speak into our lives. Somebody that can see things that we don't see. Somebody that can give us pointers and help us out. Somebody that can help us take the next step because they've already taken that next step. We also need teammates. 
that we do the iron sharpens iron, that we help each other, that we push each other, that we encourage one another, that we help each other grow. We need those. And then we need rookies. Now, what are rookies? Well, you know, most pro teams have, uh, have a situation where they'll, they'll put a veteran with a rookie, and they, they're to teach them the ropes and help them and answer questions. And we need, we need rookies in our lives, and we need those three relationships. We need a coach, we need teammates, and we need rookies in our lives. People that we're looking up to, people that we're working together with and learning from and growing from, and people that we're helping up. Now, let me ask you, in your life, who are your go-to people? Who are your Yodas? Who are your coaches? Who are the people that can speak into your life that are further down the road that, that can help you take a step forward, grow? Who are your colleagues or your teammates that you look at and it's iron sharpening iron? You're encouraging them. They're encouraging you. They see things. They talk to you. You talk to them. And it's got this mutual growth. And who are the rookies that you're saying, this is a person that I think I can pour my life in and help take that next step because I was there. Do you have those people in your life? Because that's kind of what the church is all about, having those relationships. That's why Paul says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. That's how it happens. It doesn't happen if it's just you and Jesus. It can't possibly happen because most of these are relationship-based. You can't forgive when there's no one else in the relationship to forgive. You can't bear another burden if you don't have other people in your life that have burdens. And they can't bear your burden and they can't forgive you either. You know, I think we lack such a, the church lacks and our time needs so much encouragement, words of encouragement. We have, we have mastered in our culture these cut down, arrogant, knock you down words. We, we've, we're good at the attack words. We're not good with the encouragement words. Let me ask you a question. I always do this with couples. Let me just ask it to you. When was the last time that somebody, un, un, there was nothing, there was no reason for them to do it other than they wanted to. They said to you something like, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate how you I just want to tell you how much, how I see this incredible character strength in you. I just want to tell you how I think you did a great job because you kind of made a mess there in that relationship, but you, you did. I want to just tell you how proud I am of, of what you're doing there. Now, of course, hopefully it's happening in a spousal relationship. Hopefully it's happening in a parental relationship. But let me ask you a question. When was the last time that somebody said something to you that was just absolutely their goal was to encourage you and speak in words of encouragement into your life. My guess is it's been a long time. Let me ask you the, the other side of the coin. When was the last time 
that you spoke words. Now, again, we're not talking about false words. We're not just, hey, you're the greatest. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about thoughtful, encouraging words. Where you, you, you saw somebody who needed a word of encouragement, and you just did it. Who are you speaking words of encouragement in? The other thing that happens in these groups is we pray for each other. And that's what James says, pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So where does this new community take place the best? Well, it doesn't take place the best here and now. My guess is you don't even know the people that you're sitting with. Or if you're online, you've kind of got a limited audience, my guess is. So where does it take place the best? Well, I think yesterday in this room at the IF gathering, it was taking place at tables. That iron was sharpening iron, encouragement was happening, prayer was happening, good things were happening. Now it can take place here, but it probably will take place after the service. I had a couple people come up to me afterwards and say, hey, you know, let me tell you a situation. Would you pray with me? And I prayed with them. But, you know, do you have people that you pray with and pray for you? The best place that that takes place is in what we call life groups or small groups. I want to read you a quote from John uh, Stott. John Stott is a British. He's died and recently, and well, a couple years ago. But he wrote a number of uh, great, great commentaries. Um, just an exegetical, uh, just a great Bible teacher. And he wrote this, and I think it's just, uh, it's telling. He says, I do not think it's an exaggeration to say, therefore, that small groups, Christian family or fellowship groups, we call them life groups here, are indispensable for our growth into spiritual maturity. And he's absolutely right. And he's got the New Testament to back him up on that. What I'm trying to convince you of is that you need community. And you need to be in a smaller group of community where everyone knows your name. They not only know your name, but they know your kids' names. And they know what's going on with you. They know when you're in the hospital. They know when things are going well and when they're not going well. They pray for you. Every weekend with our group meets, we take prayer requests and we pray for one another. Here's what the benefits of a life group are. You'll grow in your relationship with God and others. You'll have people praying for you and you for them. You will, you will be cared for and missed. Let me just say this to you. I don't know everyone here. And I don't know who's watching online. I don't know. And if you're not here for a month, I won't miss you. <laughs> and I'm not saying that in the sense of, I won't miss you. It's just there's no possible way that I would know whether you're here or not. But if you're part of a life group, when you miss a week, you'll be missed. When you miss two weeks, you'll be more missed. You'll be cared for much better than what we can do here. The only time I can care for people here is when I hear about a need because I can't read your minds. And I know many of you, whether you're here in this audience or online, are going through a lot right now. And I may or may not know what you're going through. But I guarantee you that if you're in a life group, 
That group knows what you're going through. You'll be cared for and you'll be missed. And then finally, you'll be challenged, strengthened, and encouraged. All life groups aren't perfect. There's, there's, you know, there's humans in it. Our life group is, it's a group, right? Here's the thing. When, when you connect yourself to God's word and God's people, good things happen. And you'll find colleagues, teammates. You may find Yodas. You may find rookies. There, I mixed metaphors there, but you, you'll give me some grace for that. Scathing. I'm, he mixed meta. No, sorry. <laughs> anyway, so again, this is what a true, real Christian, real mature, this is what maturity looks like. And here's the last thing I'll say. You may have been a Christian for many, many years, and you can do this. You may have been a Christian for 10 minutes, and you can do these. That's the point. Maturity happens as you do these things, and they're, they're kind of an outworking and, and an inworking of your relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's never, never, never just you and Jesus. It's always Jesus and you and his church because that's who you're part of. Stand with me. Let's uh, pray, and then we'll sing again. Father, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for your word and its encouragement. I pray that each person, whether they're here in-house or online, maybe live with us or later after the fact, would see the importance of connecting with your new community. We can't do life alone. Father, you never intended for us to do that. So help us to get plugged into a smaller group of people, not in rows, but in circles, where we can look at each other, where we can share our lives together, where we can learn together, where we can pray for one another, where we can bear one another's burdens, where we can forgive one another, where we can help one another. Father, help us to be part of those communities because that's what we so desperately need. And Father, may the world see the difference in a church that loves one another. We ask this in Jesus' name.